in a series called Rooted, and what we're talking about is the idea that we are going to have our roots go deep so that the um, so that we can have produce, so that we can have fruit on top. We have two trees in our front yard. I'm sorry. We had two fruit trees in our front yard uh, that just died. Uh, they were in pots, and we had uh, all the mixture and everything, and uh, the, they, could, they only could grow so big, and they just died, right? But I would imagine if those trees uh, were in the ground, we didn't put them in the ground because they would probably break our water pipes, but if they were in the ground, they would have done fine. But they were contained to just these little containers and susceptible to just every little thing that could happen inside that container. And I was thinking about as those trees died, like what were they missing, right? And that's what this series is all about. Like as we look at our lives and we think there's anxiety, there's depression, there's trauma, there's fear, these things. We would ask ourselves, how would we treat us as a tree? Like what are we missing? What do we need? Do we need food? Do we need sunlight? Do we need pruning, which we all don't like is pruning, right? Do we need those things? And so those are the things that we, we look at. And so uh, that's what this series is all about. About, uh, I don't know, seven years ago or so, I had a 66 Mustang. And that uh, Mustang, the, a friend of mine encouraged me to buy it because for two reasons. One, the parts are very cheap. And so you can go and get, if, you're, if your alternator goes out or something goes out, you can, you can get, and then they're easy to fix. I don't know anything about cars. So I thought, well, this will be cool because I'll have this Mustang and then I'll learn about cars, you know, because I'm a man and everybody knows that every man should know everything about cars in our culture, uh, which is not true. That's a joke. But uh, I thought, well, I could be more manly, okay? Just, just as be honest, okay? So I got the car. And, uh, and it did what it was supposed to do, break down a lot. And then I did what I was supposed to do and fix it cheaply on my own. But what my friend didn't understand is that time for me was way more important than money. I would much rather take it to a mechanic who has it for three days than not work for three days and just sit in my house and work on the car. But when it started to run and when it, and when all the little things got fixed and I was driving it around, that thing was so much fun. It was so fun to drive that car. And I'm not going to lie, it was kind of fun to get attention, okay? As it turns out, a 2015 Hyundai Sonata does not bring the same amount of attention that my 66 Mustang did. Although I love my car, uh, you don't have people going as they cross the street in front of you. They just don't even notice you exist, which is fine with me. But I loved this Mustang. And I loved, uh, I loved green lights when they were once red and then they turned green because I would deposit rubberized product uh, at, at, the, at the intersection. I just had a lot of fun. But it was too much work, right? And so it would sit in the driveway and I'd try to fix it and all these types of things. You say, John, what is all this having to do? Well, here's what I'm hoping to uh, let you know this morning. Uh, by the way, welcome to those who are watching online. We're glad you're here. Uh, is that you too are a restored vehicle. Now, you might think, oh, I'm, 
I'm restored, all right. I'm on blocks in the driveway with the tires removed and the doors off. I just feel completely useless. Some of you might be thinking, oh yeah, I'm restored, all right. I look fantastic. My spiritual life is wonderful. My, well, my, my normal life is wonderful. Well, you should be leading then a small group, okay? Um, and so we're going to be talking a little bit about that. And so we're going to start out in Ephesians, and then we're going to move to a, a section of Scripture that shows the problem when we get it all wrong, and then we're going to look at Jesus' solution in John, which is very, very clear. In your book, I think the chapter is called, if you're going through the workbook, it's called like your best life ever. Um, I call it like doing what you're designed to do, but that's okay. Here's how Ephesians chapter 2 starts off. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Super positive, right? You were dead. Now, we're, we're happy with the were, okay? But this is just a salvation declaration. The next few verses we're going to see is what we would call the gospel. And that's the fact that you are a person who uh, is sinful and uh, uh, is troubled and broken. And that Jesus, through what he did on the cross, saved you from that law of sin and of death, has reconciled us to God so that we can spend eternity with him. That is the gospel. And that's good news. As a matter of fact, it goes on. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. In which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Now, if, you, if that language confuses you, or if you're like, is he talking about Satan? I am, and I addressed this last week on We Have an Enemy. And I talked about the fact that I really do believe there's a Satan, and how he works is to create systems that keep us off balance, that keep us sinful, that keep us um, comparing with one another, to keep us dissatisfied, to keep us anxious, outraged, and fearful. That's how he operates. And so all Ephesians 2, 2 is saying is, look, you used to follow those systems. You used to think about all those things. According to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. In other words, in these systems that marginalize people, that exploit people, that objectify people. Like you used to like participate in that stuff is all the Bible saying. Among them, we too all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desires of flesh and of mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. Paul is addressing exactly what I talked about yesterday, the three main ways Satan works through these systems. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the boastful pride of life. Those are the three things that are going to probably get you somehow. If there's an issue in your life, it is probably the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the boastful pride of life. That's how he worked with Eve, as we talked about last week. That didn't go well. And that's how he attacked Jesus. That did go well. That's all that's happening right now. We're talking about the gospel. We were broken, okay? But God, being rich in mercy, in other words, he didn't just say to you, the Mustang, that thing's a big piece of junk. It's useless. It's ruined. It cannot be restored. That's not what happened. 
being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were on blocks. We were dead in our transgressions. The engine wouldn't turn over. We had no battery and it was rusted. He made us alive together with Christ. And then Paul puts in this parenthetical statement, it's by grace you've been saved. In other words, God did this out of his own love for us. Okay, again, this is just the gospel. This is the good news. We were broken, but God. We were sinful, but God. We were stuck, but God. Many of us in this room and watching online know exactly what I'm talking about. If you've been a follower for Jesus for a long time and you go, I remember that. Or you're watching this or here this morning because you're like, I am that. You're welcome here. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in the kindness uh, toward us in Christ Jesus. We have two things at Living Spring that we say. One is our mission statement. Our mission statement, I've been here uh, in November, November 5th, it'll be uh, 17 years, and we have had the same mission statement, to reach our neighborhood and surrounding communities with the love of the Father, to restore lives to healthy relationship in the Son, and to respond to a move of God's Spirit. Those are our reach, restore, and respond. This is the reach part. This is the reach part. We, God saw us on blocks. He saw us broken. He says, that's not your design. You're supposed to be on the road. You're supposed to be going. He, he gets us, he restores us, and he puts us to work. This is the reach part. If you are, uh, our tagline is belong, believe, be changed. So reach is what we do it as a church Belong, believe, be changed is what we would do individually. We would say to an individual, and it might be you, and it might be you watching online or if someone shared this sermon with you, that you can belong here before you believe. I got, we have people here and you might not know each other, but they believe things that I don't believe, that we would say we don't believe, but they can still belong. But we don't bait and switch. We make it very clear. We want you to believe some things. I want you to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. I want you to believe that you can be forgiven for your past. I want you to believe that he has instilled in you gifts that you can use to advance the kingdom of God. And then be changed. We think you should be changed. We think I should be changed more and more into the image of Jesus. This is the reach part. This is the belong part. For by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works. You don't earn your way in so that no one may boast. That's the gospel. We were broken. We needed a savior. Jesus came. We're saved and restored. Now the end of the story is that we spend eternity in heaven with God. Okay? That's the end of the story. Except... Paul continues, and he says, that's not the end of the story. This is just the beginning of the story. When you come to Christ, when you come broken and sinful and, and fearful and all these things, he doesn't just restore you to be displayed on a shelf 
to just say, we're just going to sit here and you're going to be perfect until we get to heaven. The great showroom in the sky. That is not at all what happens at salvation. There is that promise of eternity, no doubt. No doubt. I'm spending eternity with Jesus. My dad passed a couple weeks ago. I'm going to go see him probably not too much longer uh, in the eternity scheme of things. Paul goes on. We are his workmanship. In other words, he bought us with a price. And now comes the restoration part. And not just to be fixed up and to sit in the driveway I drove that car. It was my daily driver. It was like, no matter when it sputtered and when it was like had loud bangs and things. I had this one thing with the car. It was so frustrating. It was the horn. There was a short in the horn. And so I would get to a stoplight and my horn would just start honking. <laughs> but it didn't honk like normal, like, eh, eh. it would just like go, ah, 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 ah. So like, the, and you just see the, you know, you know how you look in the rearview mirror of the car in front of you, right? And so they would look in the rearview mirror and, I, you know, I'd just be like, ah, ah, like I, I don't, and then it would just go ah, like that, right? And then I'd, I'd, when I'd pull the, on a Mustang, it has this little center circle. I'd have to pull it off. And when I pull it off, it would spark. So I didn't want to pull it off. I always wanted to just kind of adjust it. And as I did that, it, it would, that, that's, the, that's the restoration process I was in. And that might be your restoration process. All of a sudden, you're in a meeting. You find yourself beeping. And you, you know you shouldn't have said that. And you're like, I don't know where that came. This is short. I didn't mean to say, boss, that you're an idiot. I, I, what happened was, see, and then there's sparks, right? It's same thing. God has us on the road before we look pristine. Amen? We are his workmanship. Another version says we're his handiwork. We're a work in progress is what this means. This doesn't mean you're finished. This means you're in process. And we are all in process. All of us. You are his workmanship. Now, when I went out into that driveway... And I went to go put the key in and turn it over. Um, sometimes it would not turn over. Sometimes it would turn over. But every part of that car was an extension of myself. I knew everything about that car. I put the power steering in that car. Every time I took a turn, it was just I could do it with one finger. I was just like, I'm amazing. I'm amazing. No, I didn't say that. I was just like, thank you for YouTube is really what I'd say. Showed me how to do that. It was just an extension of me. When I fixed the horn and I was at a stoplight and I knew the horn wasn't going to honk, I was like, this is the way it's, ah, oh, this is nice. I ended up selling the car. It was just too much for me, which is really bad for the example of this sermon. Uh, but watch, watch this workmanship. This workmanship does not stay in the driveway. Your best life is to live how you were created to live. To be out on the road. To take turns at speeds you probably shouldn't be taking the turns at. Right? To have the window rolled down. To be exciting and missional, we would call it, if we want to put a spiritual word on there. 
that we understand that our life is not just to be lived working and working and working on ourselves. I don't want to go out until I've got all of this fixed up, until my paint job's perfect, until my horn's fixed, until my alignment is correct. I, I just want to stay in the driveway, stay in the garage, right? We are his workmanship. Watch. Created in Christ. Uh-oh. I just want it to be I'm saved and I go to heaven. Wouldn't that be nice? Oh, that would be so nice. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. Someone else isn't saved. I don't know where they're going. Probably hell. Fine with me. Good for me. Bad for them. Let's move on. Mm-mm. You're his workmanship. You're supposed to be on the road. The way you were designed was to serve. That's how you were designed. You were designed to be driven. And so when we get rescued from that, when we get rescued from our sin, rescued from our brokenness, God says, oh, this is great. You're mine now, and you're going to be mine for eternity. And you say, yes, that's why I raised my hand. That's why I came forward. And he says, and the eternity starts right now. And you were created in Christ Jesus for good works, not only good works, which God prepared beforehand. He has a plan for you. He has a job for you. He has things for you. And this is the great thing about the economy of God. We tend to think as Americans, at least for Westerners, that bigger is better, right? Run a ministry. Start a this. Start a that. You know, be in front. Uh, prophets go, keep going forward. Attendance, higher, 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 higher. Jesus says, no, 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 none of that. He says this. This is so freeing. If you're faithful with little, if you set up chairs in the patio, if you set up the coffee cart, if you plug in the coffee machine to get it going before a Sunday, if you're faithful with that little thing, you've done a tremendous amount of work, especially for people who drink coffee. But anyway, uh, you've done a tremendous amount of work. If you make a phone call or a little text, hey, I was thinking about you. The Lord's like, yeah, that's exactly what I created you for. You say, but I didn't, I didn't, I'm not running a ministry. I kind of feel like I still mess up when I'm at a stop sign. God, sometimes my horn, I don't even know, it just starts honking and I, I'm trying to work on it. I'm trying to get those wires fixed. We'll work on the horn. We'll get the horn okay. You plugged in the coffee, the coffee. Good for you. You were here early. You were whatever. You reached out to somebody. We were created for this. We were created to serve. We are called the hands and feet of Jesus. We're the body of Christ. We are created to move. We are created to notice. So that we would walk in them. Like this is it. We are supposed to be on the road. We're supposed to be driven. We are not supposed to sit back and wait till everything's perfect and then we'll be seen outside. Not at all. We're a work in progress. Let me show you where this went wrong and then I'll show you where it went right. Uh, where it went wrong, where uh, you have people who were close to Jesus, who, who had been following Jesus for a long time, had seen Jesus work, had seen the miracles, had seen Jesus care for people, I mean, they, they knew what he was all about, right? They approach him, 
And here's what they do. And tell me if this doesn't look familiar. First of all, the two guys talking to Jesus, just to give it a little historical context, are called the sons of thunder. Okay, James and John. They're called the sons of thunder. They're brothers. And uh, they're sons of this guy of Zebedee, right? We'll see that in a second. But uh, so these are kind of like, whether they're big guys or loud guys or whatever, these are the ones you'd want on your team. They're ready to go. They're, they got it all together. And here's what they say. James and John, the uh, two sons of Zebedee, come to Jesus saying, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. Does that sound familiar? That sounds like my prayer life a lot of times. I'll wake up in the morning. I'll read my word. I'll beg God, you're so amazing. I go through all that. And then I'm like, okay, now let's get down to your to-do list. Okay, Jesus, here's what I want you to do for me, right? Now, here's the great thing about Jesus. He doesn't like go, get, get out of here. I, I'll do what I want. I'm King Jesus for crying out loud. No, he goes, he just, he, it's almost like this next question could be rephrased. Oh, this ought to be good, right? So here's what he says. What do you want me to do for you, right? You can just, I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into the Bible. I tend to do that. But if I were Jesus, I'd just be like, oh boy, this is going to be rich. Okay, here we go. What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, oh, cool. He's going to do it. This is wonderful. Grant that we may sit one on your right hand and one on your left when you take over the Romans. Uh, it says when you're in your glory, but they weren't thinking in terms like you and I think now because we, they didn't have the whole rest of the Bible where we understand how Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father and all that eternal language that we use, which is appropriate and good because that is going to happen. They're thinking about, hey, when, you, when you are, you're the Messiah, you're going to save Israel. When you save Israel, when we get rid of the Romans and stuff, I'm just going to be on it. So we see it a lot today in regular politics. Basically, they're saying, you know, give me a cabinet position, right? And when you get elected, give me a cabinet position. That's all they're, they're doing. And they're cronies, which is what we do now. So it fits anyway. Here we go. Mark 11, 30, uh, 10, 38. But Jesus said to them, you don't have any clue what you're talking about right now. That's the vernacular to what he says. You do not know what you're asking. And then he says, are you able to drink the cup that I drink? Or to be baptized with the baptism which I'm baptized? In other words, you guys, you have no clue what you're asking for. A life of power, a life of being in front, a life of being, having attention drawn to you and look at me. That, does, that is not what you want. You want a life of service. You want a life at the end of the line, not at the front of the line. He goes on. He says, are you able to do that? They say, we're able. <laughs> they, have, they have no clue, right? Jesus said to them, well, guess what, guys? You are going to do it. The cup that I drink, you, you're going to drink it, right? And you shall be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized. And to which they would say, great, we're on the same page. I can do that. You said it's going to happen. So when do we sit at your right and left hand? But to sit at my right or left hand, this is not mine to give. But these, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Hearing this, the ten were indignant with James and John. Not because, you know, you don't ask Jesus that. This is about eternity and the kingdom of God. Why would you want to be first? No, they were upset they didn't ask. They're upset with James and John, like, 
oh, you're going to be on the right and left. What does that make us? We're just going to be, you know, ambassadors to Azerbaijan or something, whatever the example is. The 10 began to feel indignant. Now, this is so critical for us as followers of Jesus and for those of you who might not yet be followers of Jesus that are on your way. Calling them to himself, Jesus said to them. So here's what's happening. Is the air on, Roscoe? Can you turn that on? It just seems warm in here. For those of you watching online, it's warm in here. Okay. So Jesus is doing what we would do to our kids. If you're a teacher, you would do it. You'd say eyes up here. You'd say hands folded. You'd say, I don't know what they say. You know, I don't know what it is, right? You do that. If you had a family, this would be a family meeting. If, if you're in a family, if, if you're dating, it would be a, we need to talk. Okay. Which, okay. I'm so glad I'm not dating because I do not want, well, I'm married. And if I get a, we need to talk, I'm still fear and trepidation, but that's what this is. This is, hey, hey, hey. So you can picture Jesus, all these 12 guys. Come, come here, come here, come here, come here. Everybody, come in here. Come in here. Sit down. This is what Jesus has to say. This is so key. This is so important. Jesus is grabbing the attention of the 11 guys, because the one of them didn't turn out that great. But of the 11 guys that were going to take the church forward into what we have today. This is all Jesus has. This is Jesus' plan A, B, and C. This is it. These 11 dudes. So when Jesus calls him, them together, it's really important. And here's what he says. You know that those who are recognized as rulers, I'm almost I'm very confident Jesus put air quotes in, okay, might not, of the Gentiles, lord it over them. And you and I see this all the time, whether it's somebody in power abusing it, whether it's someone in power drawing attention to themselves, whether it's a boss you have where she's domineering or he's domineering or whatever, where they just have to get attention for everything. They have to show you that they're in charge. Why did you make that decision without asking me first? Like, oh gosh, right? This is what Jesus is trying to get them to understand. And Jesus might have been even going like this, like pointing over to some Pharisees that were over there. You know that oh, you're those guys, right? Or a, or a Roman guard or something. Because this is just common. This is human nature, Jesus is saying. You're going you're gonna to come up, you're going to see this everywhere you go. And they, they, great men, exercise authority over them. Listen, what he says. But this is, uh, but it is not this way among you. You are not going to be first in line. It's not going to be all about you. It's not going to be whether or not everything works out the way you want it to. This morning at 2 o'clock in the morning, I got a text from our drummer. I have the flu, right? So I have one or two of two options. I either go, uh, or I go, well, this ought to be interesting. <laughs> I wonder what worship's going to be this morning. I have no idea. I run the joint. I have no idea what was coming this morning, right? Great job, by the way, worship team. Thank you for being so flexible and calm. You were so calm this morning when I told you a drummer wasn't going to be here. All right, he's still locked in his own car. No, that's a drummer joke. I'm sorry. All right. <laughs> I could have inserted bass play, whatever. Anyway, for the musicians, you know the joke. 
right? It's not this way among us, you guys. It's, it doesn't have to be what we think is the best or the right way or, or the way we want it. And here's what Jesus is saying. Well, we'll see it in a second. I, it's, I'm so excited. I love this concept. But whoever wishes to be great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be slave to all. It is opposite day in the kingdom. You want to be first in your marriage? Submit to your spouse. You want to be first in your relationships? Serve them. You want to be first at work? Do what your boss says with a smile and serve them. You say, John, if you met my boss, I don't need to meet your boss. Jesus addressed it. He addressed it. It doesn't matter who your boss is. It doesn't matter who your spouse is. We humble ourselves. That's what we do as followers of Jesus. We serve. We get out on the road, faulty horn, we pull to the right or we pull to the left. We don't have power steering, so every time we turn, it's like both hands and jumping down to try and get the car to turn, especially if you're parallel parking. Good Lord. Power steering was the first thing I put in that stupid car, right? Right? This is, this is us. Are you a follower of Jesus? Then you're in last place by default. Congratulations. It didn't go your way. You're right in line with what Jesus says. Not so with you. Not so with you. Even the Son of Man, even Jesus, who had all authority, he knew every right decision, and he knew how everything was supposed to be led. He knew the right decision for everything did not come to be served. And to give his life for a ransom for, for many. Come here, 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 Jesus says. He looks at these men, these gruff men, and in that culture, to be a man was number one. Women were subjugated. Children were subjugated. And he, he looks at these men who were supposed to be in power. They're starting a new movement. They're the first ones in. They're the ones. They're it. And he goes, hey, you guys, you guys, come here, come here. Get in the back of the line. That's what he says for us. If we want to live our best life ever, we're going to live how we were created to live. And that is to serve. Not to sit in the driveway being worked on all the time. Memorizing scripture, getting our lives all on. I won't go out on the road until I know. No, man, it's pedal to the metal, burning rubber. Take a corner too fast. Take a risk. Have your horn beeping the whole way going, I don't know what's happening, but I'm going. Jesus says, get to the back of the line. Here's, here's how it worked out for Jesus. He's in the Last Supper. It's my favorite section of scripture. I looked back. I think I preach on this almost twice a year, this section of scripture, because it's so ingrained in what Jesus had for the church, and it's so anti-American. And by American, I don't mean Star Spangled Banner. I mean our culture of entitlement and consumption and Yelp reviews, and I have to have it my way. And if it's not my way, I'm writing a strongly lettered email to somebody, to the pastor, to the restaurant owner, whatever, right? Here's what happens. So Jesus at his last, last supper. You've seen the picture, right? Everyone's together. There we go. Last supper, same, same time. And he says this, Jesus knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands. In other words, Jesus knowing that he's number one. He's in control. He's the king. Knowing that of all the people who deserves to be worshipped, Listen to, his ideas are best. 
Hefe, that's it, right? That he had come forth from God. In other words, he has an eternal perspective and he's going back to God, meaning whatever he does now, it doesn't matter because he's going back to his heavenly father. He got up from supper. He laid aside his garments, his outer garment, and he takes a towel like a dishwasher or a servant and he wraps it around his waist. This is the king of kings, the Lord of lords, your savior humbles himself and he wraps a towel around his waist. He pours water into a basin and begins to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them on the towel which is around his body. These dirty, nasty, they don't, didn't do many petties back then, okay? He, they weren't, it was, they were gross and they, they were in sandals and they probably, if you've ever walked around in sandals and stubbed your toe or broken your toe or whatever, they all go this way. So Jesus takes these men's feet that are just like, I wouldn't touch them, right? And he says, oh man, this is going to be awesome. When he had washed their feet, oh, I'm sorry, I messed up because what happened was back in uh, five, Peter's like, this is not right. I mean, it's just like us. We would say, you're the king. You're it. You're the Messiah. You're not washing my feet. And Jesus is like, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have a part of this movement. Because this movement is all about us washing each other's feet, of being in the back of the line, of serving one another. And then Peter goes, you know, then wash my whole body. And Jesus is like, bro, Joe, settle down, okay? But... Just, we're doing feet today, okay? Hasad, I mean, that's kind of how it went. Anyway, now we skip to verse 12. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I've done for you? This is what Jesus had done for them. He set them free, you guys. He set us free from having to have our own way. Isn't that exciting? You're like, no. That sounds terrible, I don't get my own way. Oh, no, no, no. You were designed not to have your own way. You were designed to live a life of servant, of being a servant. You were, a, you were, you were designed to live a life of it costing your time, your talents, and your treasure. You were designed that way. You were designed for a life of sacrifice. You were saved into a life of sacrifice. Yes, eternity is guaranteed for us who have all given our lives to Jesus, have understood we're a sinner, to come forward and say, God, I, I need you to forgive me of my sins. I know that you died for my sins. And Jesus says, great, you're now mine. Come into the garage. And the first thing we're going to do is see how fast we can get you back on the road. And you go, oh my goodness, in front of everybody, my paint's chipped, my horn honks. Oh no, this is going to be great. Do you see what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right. I, that's me. I am. If then your Lord and teacher washed your feet, guess what you're supposed to do? If Jesus washed the disciples' feet, guess what we're supposed to do? Serve however we can. And the cool thing about God's economy is it doesn't matter how you serve. If you're faithful with little, you're faithful with much. He doesn't care. He doesn't care. You work in children's ministry once a month, one week a year. Doesn't matter. We'd prefer once a month. 
We prefer every week. But anyway, but it doesn't matter, right? You set up chairs, you, you whatever. The stuff that we have to do just on a Sunday morning, setting up cameras, sound, drum kit, the gifts for new visitors, all those things. Some people have to wear a green vest they hate wearing. They don't like the color, it doesn't match with anything, but they do it. And the Lord says, that's what I'm talking about. That green vest thing. That's faithful with much. You wash feet, you also need to wash one another's feet. Your husband's feet, your wife's feet, your kids' feet. You say, I'm a dad, I'm not. That's not a follower of Jesus. That's not a follower of Jesus. For I gave you an example that you should also do as I did to you. So, forget about washing feet because we don't really do that in that culture. And I, No touchy on my feet. I don't want you touching my feet. What are you doing that even fits this model? Where does it show up? It's got to show up somewhere. Because that's what you were designed for. Truly, truly, he says, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one sent greater than the one who sent him. And so if I did it, Jesus says, you need to do it. You need to find a place to serve. If you're a student, how do you serve at school? If you're a manager, how do you serve those people? If you own a business, how do you make sure your employees have a wage that is fair, that helps them take care of their family? If you're in leadership, how do you make sure the people you are leading, you are truly serving? Watch what he says. He goes, one more thing. He says, if you know these things, if you know them, you are blessed if you know them. No. <laughs> You're not blessed if you know them. You're cursed if you know them. Because now you know. You're blessed if you do them, if you get out on the road. Wacky alignment and all. As the worship band comes back up, minus one drummer who has the flu. <laughs> 1 Peter 4.10 says this. As each one of us has received a special gift, employ it. Do it. You have a few extra minutes, write a note to somebody. You have extra money, use it to serve. You have extra time, you're retired, serve. Things going a certain way for you, you've got a great family, Maybe your family time, all five of you or four of you or however many it is, shows up somewhere to serve. We teach our little kids at a very young age. It's time to get busy. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Listen, I want to talk to some of you. We, what we're going to do now is just take a time of reflection. Tanner's going to play a song and we have places you can come and pray. Maybe for some of you, you say, you know what, Lord? I've been in the driveway too long. Just, I just want, just show me. Show me a place I can serve. Show me something I can do. Maybe it's with your spouse. Maybe it's time to take another shot at that relationship. Maybe it's time with a friendship and you've kind of grown apart and you're like, you know what? I'm going to serve. Or someone you know who's struggling with a disability or a struggle. So we come up, we pray for those things. We'll have people praying at the cross over here. So if you want special prayer for something, I want to talk to another group of you. 
probably most of you. You just don't think you can do it. You think you have to get to a certain place in the restoration process to be used by him. You do not. You, in your very state of where you are right now, are his handiwork, his workmanship. New Living Translation says this. You are his masterpiece. You are his masterpiece. Lord Jesus, we don't feel that way a lot of times, like a masterpiece. We feel broken, we feel tired, we feel like unworthy. We don't feel like we're even road legal. We just feel like if we get out on the road and try something, we're just gonna crash. And yet, Lord, you say, let's go. Let's try a little bit. My kingdom, just a little bit is a ton. So, Lord, I pray as we come before you during this song and in time of reflection that you would be honored and glorified and that you would just whisper to us, let's go. Let's live our best life. Let's get out on the road. Let's do something. We ask this in Jesus' name. Those were there's no shadow he won't light up, mountain he won't climb up in order to get to you. And when he gets you, he's gonna put you to work. <laughs> now, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, I pray you would go with his acceptance, with his strength, and with his boldness. In Jesus' name. Have a great week, and we will see you next Sunday.